0: Let's reopen our Bibles to Acts chapter 13, and we'll go to verse 42, where we left off in our first service. We have, looking at the map, we have seen that Paul's home church was here in Antioch of Syria, directly north of Jerusalem, by about 300 miles. And it was a mixed church, in that it just didn't have Israelite Jews, but it had Grecian Jews. (coughs) that were from other Greek countries, and they were in that synagogue there, and they were converted. And there's a large church there now, and it has a number of ministers in it. God told those ministers to set aside Paul and Barnabas for a special ministry that he had for them. And so they sent them away to Seleucia, which was 16 miles away on the coast, and they took sailing here on this blue line down to Salamis, Cyprus, Barnabas was from Cyprus. Paul was from Tarsus here in Cilicia. And they preach in the synagogues, plural, of the Jews in Salamis. Then they travel 100 miles the length of that island. They come to Paphos. The deputy there is converted by Paul's astonishing doctrine of how he dealt with Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer there. And then they leave, and they come north up to Perga, We're not told of any activities in Perga, though there could have been. Luke is giving us the condensed version. And they continued on north to Antioch of Pisidia. Pisidia is this area in here. The Romans and the locals had many different names for different territories. And they overlap at times. And it's just something you got to get used to when you read the Bible. Because we're going to find out that this area right here, is called Lyconia, but it's really Galatia, but it's Lyconia because it's a local area. We have a Piedmont. Most people don't even know what the Piedmont is. We have the words upstate, and is, does upstate equal Piedmont? Really? Uh, you know, we've got these different terms, and so you want to remember that when you look at the Bible, And so all the terms aren't on here, or a map becomes very confusing. And I don't like those kind of maps. I didn't bring you a map like that. I brought you a map with only a few names. When you read the book of Acts, you're going to read about Cilicia. You're going to read about Cappadocia. You're going to read about Pamphylia. You're going to read about Pisidia. Now I've lined it so many times that you can't see what we have there. But that's where this first trip took place. And it is a huge event in world history for the gospel to be going to Gentiles. Paul is going to leave that little tiny area called Israel, go north to Antioch, go out into the Mediterranean Sea to an island, cross it to what is now Turkey, and this is his first trip. It's about 1,200 to 1,500 miles long from beginning to end and back to beginning without any of his side travels. 1,200 to 1,500 miles, maybe all of it by foot. But we thank the Lord for this event, and we thank the Lord that God gave us through Luke's pen, the book of Acts. Luke was the beloved physician and a companion of the Apostle Paul, so he had firsthand knowledge of much of this that he wrote down for us. And Paul is now in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia. there in the top left-hand corner of the map, and he has preached the first recorded sermon by Paul in the Bible, and he's shown us four steps to find agreement with them And the the agreement was the history of Israel. Then he introduced Jesus gently by historical facts of John the Baptist and witnesses about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he proved that he had risen from the dead by historical witnesses and by three scriptures. And then he exhorted them to faith. He didn't promise God's love. He didn't promise heaven. And he told them to beware that there was a prophecy hanging over Jews That if they did not convert, and but they would despise and wonder about these things, God would destroy them, and God would turn his back on them. And God did that to the Jews in Jerusalem and leveled their city about 20 years after this. Approximately, this is occurring 45 to 50 AD, and we are able to back into that by a number of events that were told about and some of the rulers that were given in the book of Acts, that were Roman rulers, and we know the beginning and the end of their reigns. This is about 45 to 50 A.D. We're going to need that in a minute. Which means that it is 15 to 20 years after Pentecost, but it is still 25 to 20 years in front of the destruction of Jerusalem. So we're right smack dab in the middle of the time of Reformation while we had dual covenants running side by side, and while the church needed a multiplicity of elders with a variety of gifts as a substitute for not having the New Testament scriptures. So we come to verse 42 of Acts chapter 13, where in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, there's two Antiochs, keep them totally separate. I hope the map helps you. I thank every person that expressed appreciation at break time for the maps, that it does bring it together and open up the book of Acts that you can see it in a simpler way as to where these events took place. And now we're looking at the content of the preaching in Acts 13. We ended at verse 41 with the warning, Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. You couldn't have asked for truth to be delivered any better than Paul delivered it in Acts 13, verses 14 through 41. How could it have been better? He started with the common history of Israel that was consistent with their Old Testament. He then brought in Jesus and described John the Baptist's ministry and what the Jews in Jerusalem did by crucifying him without knowing the scriptures of the prophets. They had just read the scriptures of the prophets right here in Antioch. Paul is using great wisdom. You men just heard the scriptures of the prophets. Do you think you could have a better response than those in Jerusalem that crucified him, though they found no fault in him? They put him in a sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. And I have witnesses that God raised him from the dead and scriptures that prove God would raise him from the dead. Now believe because I'm telling you a word of salvation you've never heard before. Forget all the animal sacrifices, forget Moses law for justification, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and died for your justification. And so we have the gospel presented there in the middle of what is modern Turkey, Southern Turkey, Turkey's a large nation and it's in Antioch of Pisidia. We come to verse 42, and we want to look at the response of the crowd to Paul's sermon. So I'll read the first two verses. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Remember, there were Gentile proselytes there in the synagogue because Paul addressed them as Ye that fear God, that were, that were intermingled in the pews along with the Jews, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you, real Israelites, that fear God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Well, the Jews go home. And the Gentiles say, we want to hear more about this next Sunday, next Sabbath. It'll be next Saturday. But notice what the Lord is doing. The Lord is preparing an audience The Lord has prepared Paul and he's bringing the two together. If you pray for the Lord to give you someone and you prepare, the Lord can have a person prepared for you. We want to share the truth. These people are going to publish it. I'm just trying to warn you before we get there and you have to look at it and see it in the black and white print. But these people published it. They're, They're like the Gadarene. You know, the Gadarene wanted to go with Jesus. So here we are. We're going with Jesus. We come in here and we sit every Sunday, all by ourselves, all few 200 of us, the whole church family, right down to our children, and we think we've got it made because we're together. But Jesus told the Gadarene, go home and tell thy family and friends what great things the Lord hath done for thee. And these people are going to publish it. Verse 43. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews... And religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Because just a decision for Jesus is not enough, it's continuing. And we learned that in John chapter 8, where Jesus taught that if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So true disciples have changed lives and obey the gospel in their lives. But look at these two verses. Verse 42, When the Jews left, the Gentiles begged the apostles to preach to them the next Sabbath. And both types of people, Jews and the religious proselytes, those are Gentiles, that had converted to be like Jews, they followed Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas got to press them to continue in what they heard and not to let it slip. We gave you scripture, hold on to those scriptures, And as they did at Berea, they went and searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's what noble people do. And when you give someone something to think about, we're going to trust the Lord that they're going to be noble. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're going to want to stone you. Sometimes they'll never want to talk to you again because you're going to try to convert them again. But sometimes they're going to go home and think about what you said and check out the scriptures about what you said. And that's what we, we want to be there for them. Verses 44 and 45. The Jews have a problem, and that's envy. And we are across the Mediterranean from Israel, around a corner of the Mediterranean at least, and here's what happens. Verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Wonderful. Almost the whole city comes to hear Paul and Barnabas preach on the Sabbath day in a Jewish synagogue. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And you're going to run into that kind. They may show initial interest and then they may hate you for it. This was because of envy. The Jews were so proud of their little synagogues that in these foreign nations, they would have Gentiles convert. You want to hear the biggest part of the conversion? Any of you know? It's outpatient. Now do you know? It's minor surgery. Now do you know? For these Jews to get Gentiles circumcised and to become like a Jew was a tremendous thing for them. And now these Gentiles, they want to hear Paul. They don't want to hear the law of Moses right now. They want to hear Paul. And so the whole city comes together, and the Jews are envious, as the Bible tells us in verse 45, they were, and they spake against the things that were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Now here's the Apostle Paul at a crucial moment in his ministry the Jews are putting up a real stink against the gospel of the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ, And he, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes an apostolic move to become our apostle. Verse 46. We want to read verses 46 through 48. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. Jesus had said, I'll make you witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth, and this is one of the uttermost parts of the earth from that perspective, being across the Mediterranean in what we would call Turkey, but it was in Pisidia, and it was the city of Antioch. It was necessary. We had to do it in the right order. But, oh boy, we never want a butt about us. We do not want a but where God will withdraw his blessings from us and turn away. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. Amen. Amen. Paul churns. If you read, Paul's testimony about his conversion is in the book of Acts three times. It's in Acts chapter 9, which we looked at very briefly this morning, and that's when it occurred on the road to Damascus. It's in Acts 22, where Paul gave testimony before the Jews, and it's in Acts 26, where Paul gave testimony before King Agrippa. He gives his testimony three times. In all three cases, it comes down to the Lord Jesus Christ telling Paul, I am sending you to the Gentiles. Amen. And when he gave this testimony in Acts 22, he did it in the Hebrew tongue. And the Jews are just shouting amen as Paul says things they could agree with. And then he gets to one word. One word was a curse word to the Jews And they wanted to kill him for saying one word. And it's what you are. When he got to the one word Gentiles, they threw dirt in the air and created an uproar. They hated us. Thanks be to God for his grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. That the Apostle Paul would turn to us though he was a Jew. And though he had continual sorrow... continual pain and great sorrow in his heart, a heavy burden in his heart for the Jews. brother. my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But this is the authority of apostle, and this is how the gospel is preached. You don't like it? You've just judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. We'll turn to these people over here because they want to hear it. And they're about to shake the dust off their feet. We're going to get to that in a few verses. They're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and shake the dust off their feet. How do you hear the gospel? Are you contradicting in your mind, in your heart? Are you blaspheming? Are you opposing? Are you fighting? Or do you embrace it? As far as it goes, as far as what comes out of a pulpit that is in agreement with Scripture, are you embracing it? That's what the Lord is looking for those kind of hearers. And this is a great moment. Right here in verses 46 through 48, somewhere between 45 and 50 A.D., somewhere between 15 and 20 years after the day of Pentecost and the Lord Jesus Christ had ascended up to heaven, we have this event, and the gospel is coming to us. It's right there in Antioch and Pisidia. They're blaspheming and opposing Paul, and the authority they have, they wax bold the two men boldly looked at those Jews and said, you've judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. If you think that there's a single one of you that can get to heaven by animal sacrifices, you are totally wrong. We just told you about the old, the one and only Savior, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me share something further with you. This Lord Jesus Christ that has sent us on this mission to preach to you told us that he made us to be a light of the Gentiles. And while you think the Gentiles are in utter darkness, we're going to show them the light that the Old Testament spoke of over and over and over again. Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of God will come upon the Gentiles. And Paul lays this on them. I ask you again, could Joel do it? Because Joel isn't even close to the Apostle Paul. We want to think like this. We want to be like this, as gentle as we possibly can be. Paul was as gentle as a nurse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he was like a nurse. But if you wanted to push him and blaspheme God and oppose him and contradict the scriptures that he had just given, he would turn away in boldness. And he did, and Barnabas was right with him. It's a glorious transition that we have right here. The Lord has commanded us in verse 47. To be a light of the Gentiles, because preaching the gospel brings life and immortality to light. To light. light. I've made thee to be a light of the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't know how to be saved. They didn't know they needed to be saved. But the apostle is gonna give them everything they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I and he has given us to be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And this is obviously practical salvation by conversion of believing the truth, which is subsequent and dependent on what is in verse 48, because we don't read verses by themselves. In 48, it says, those that believed had been ordained to eternal life. So what role did Paul have but to show them the light of their salvation and to explain how God saved them from the judgment of this race and the judgment of their sins by the interposition of the Lord Jesus Christ by a penal substitutionary atonement for them. And the Jews got to hear that. And when the Gentiles heard it, verse 48 says they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. We just sang joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus Christ is called the unspeakable gift. Are you glad? Amen. Amen. Do, you, are, do you want to glorify the Lord for his word? Yeah. What Paul just said right there? The light has come to us. Salvation's come to us in the practical form of it, of knowing how God saves us and that he ordained us, and we believe because of that ordination. And by our believing, we know that we have a savior. We know that we can die. We can mock death, like Zach spoke to us earlier today, about mocking death and mocking the grave because we have a savior. And and this transition right here is for us to hear the gospel. This is the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office, and I will magnify his office as the apostle to us. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Was that pamphlets? Tracks. Websites? Blogs. Published. They went and talked everywhere. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. The region of Pisidia and the region of Lyconia and the other areas around there published throughout that region. But the Jews. Here we have another Situation with the Jews, the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. Who did they go after? Devout and honorable women, noble, religious women, and the chief men of the city. Get those who are politically correct, get those who are highly esteemed of other people to say something against Christianity. Christianity. That's what they did. The tactic is not new. The tactic is there. You're going to run into it. The tactic is not old. You'll run into it where influential people, educated, think about the man in England that died recently, Stephen Hawking, and other men like that that are esteemed for their intelligence, speaking against Christianity, bring a bad name against you. Are you afraid of that? Stephen Hawking didn't know anything. You ought to read about his personal life. He knows a lot now. He knows knows a lot more now. Yes, he does. And so does Nero about the Christians that he persecuted. Look at that verse 51. These These apostles and their apostolic power and authority, they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost though there was persecution raised against their preacher, though their preacher was kicked out of Antioch and their preacher had to go about 100 miles away to Iconium right here, look what it says about those disciples. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. What did they have? They had so little compared to us, but they were full of joy and full of the Holy Ghost. Are you full of joy about the gospel? And do you make it your daily effort to be full of the Holy Ghost? Because it is a commandment to be full of the Holy Ghost. It is an imperative passive voice verb in Ephesians 5.19 that says, be not drunk with with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled. That means it's something you do, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's what we want as a church. We don't want intellectual knowledge of doctrine. That's not going to do anyone any good. It didn't do the devil any good. It doesn't do anyone any good. There's no saving value in it. There's no saving value in it, even in a practical way, if it doesn't change our lives to be full of the Holy Ghost. Don't settle for that. We don't want to settle for anything less than what it says right there in the last verse of Acts chapter 13. They were filled with joy. Not a little bit of joy, a lot of joy, and with the Holy Ghost. And if you're full of the Holy Ghost, you will have a lot of joy, because the Holy Ghost, by His power, is able to fill us, Romans 15, 13, fill us with all joy and peace in believing that she may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So there's Holy Ghost power to believe, Holy Ghost power to preach, Holy Ghost power for miracles that we're about to run into in chapter 14, and there's Holy Ghost power for joy on those that were formerly morose. There shouldn't be any morose people in here. If you think being morose makes you dearer to God, I'll give you some churches after this service that you can go to where there's no joy. That is not the religion of Jesus Christ. The religion of Jesus Christ is full of joy. Just read it. Look at the effect. What did it say in 48? They were glad, they glorified the word of the Lord. What did it say in 52? They were filled with joy. They were full of the Holy Ghost. What did Paul call what he preached to them? I bring you glad tidings. What did our ancestors worship? You think your ancestors were pretty intelligent? Go read about your ancestors. Wherever they came from on this planet, they were filled with abominations, idolatry, superstition, idiocy. God would write about them. They have idols, they have gods, but they, and they have eyes. Those gods have eyes, but they don't see. Ears, but they don't hear. Mouths, but they don't speak. Feet, but they don't move. And they that worship them and make them are like unto them. Amen. That's how God thinks of what we used to worship. But this transa- transaction right here. Let me just circle this a little bit more. This is Antioch of Pisidia. Right there we get Acts 13. Acts 13. 46 through 48. Thank you, blessed God, for sending a preacher without fear, who boldly told the Jews they had judged themselves unworthy of everlasting life, and that you had called him to go to Gentiles. And though it was not his nation, by birth he came and preached to us. Thank you, Lord. So we come over to Iconium, about a hundred miles east. Acts chapter 14, I want to read the first seven verses. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and under the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. You want to persecute us in one city? We'll go to the next city. So they run into a persecution in Iconium. And they first go down to Lystra and then they come over to Derbe. But we've got some events to cover that take place in Lystra. But let's first talk about Iconium and what it tells us here in these verses. Where did they go in Iconium? They went into the synagogue. I am not going to tire of telling you they went into the synagogue so that you will be able to discern that the common methods of evangelism today are unscriptural. Right. Unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles against the apostles and against the new believers. The gospel's offensive. It is contrary to the flesh. And the Jews were blinded by Moses. And here's Paul preaching that there's a savior that makes all animal sacrifices obsolete. And what a glorious doctrine that is. You know, Mormonism was offensive in Missouri and Illinois. And so they killed Joseph Smith. Yeah. And they had to flee all the way out to the state of Utah to find a place where there wouldn't be anyone to kill them. So they had to go find a desert where there wasn't anyone because of rampant polygamy in Illinois and Missouri. They imprisoned Joseph Smith and then a lynch mob killed him. But these men didn't do anything like that. Paul and Barnabas didn't do anything except preach that God, the creator of the earth, the living and true God, sent his son and his son was coming back to judge the world. And he's the only way of righteousness by a penal substitutionary death. There's no, but if you love the flesh and you love your man-made traditional religion, you'll hate this man speaking something new. Right. So they made, the, they made the people evilly affected about Paul and Barnabas. Catholicism has been offensive for its confessional and for its sale of indulgences, which caused an uproar in Europe in the 16th and 17th centuries. But the cross is offensive because it exceeds rational explanation. The Greeks seek after wisdom. The cross seems foolish. The Jews look for signs. Here comes preaching of Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice, in Iconium, did you notice that the apostles were given a special measure of the Holy Ghost for signs and wonders, and the Jews still rebelled? That's right. Did you see that? There in verse 3. At the end of verse 3, it says, And God granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands, because he gave testimony unto the word of his grace. They were preaching the grace of God, that the only way to be saved is not animal sacrifices or the works of Moses' law, but by God's grace. And God gave them an ability to confirm that gospel, to testify of it by signs and wonders. Very quickly... There are two kinds of gifts given in the New Testament, very simply put. There are sign gifts, and there are revelatory gifts. Sign gifts were miraculous things that would get attention, like healing. Then there were revelatory gifts, like the gift of prophecy or the gift of knowledge, which would give a man, without a New Testament, the knowledge to preach the truth of the New Testament Without the New Testament. That's a revelatory gift because it revealed truth that a man otherwise would not know. And sometimes they're called words of knowledge, words of wisdom. A word of wisdom is not that somebody in the audience has kidney stones. Oh. Keep me, don't let me go there any farther. There's there's revelatory gifts. I want to ask you a question. Are tongues a revelatory gift? or a sign gift? Sign. They're a sign gift. They're not for the edification of the church. They're for a miraculous event, like the day of Pentecost, for men to stand around and say, how in the world do we hear fifteen languages all preaching to us the glorious works of God? It's called a sign gift. That by men of other tongues will I speak to this people, yet they still won't believe. But so signs and wonders are being done the power of God here in Iconium, but the Jews still won't accept Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is going to change the law by fulfilling the law and dying on the cross for us. The cross becomes offensive as much as polygamy did in Missouri and Illinois. Unbelievable. And so they drive them out of the city. You know, they killed Joseph Smith. They were going to kill. They would have killed and they will kill shortly. Just, just hold on. The apostle Paul but they leave Iconium and go to Lystra and Derby in that order, but they're going to be at Lystra for a while before they get to Derby. Let's come down to verse 8 and read through verse 13. If you look at the map, you can see that Lystra is not very far from Iconium. Maybe 20 miles, something like that. Verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra. I wonder why. There are no coincidences in the word of God or in circumstances. God is in charge of them all. There was an art entry yesterday that was entitled, God is in all the details. I enjoyed it. And I enjoy God being in all the details of the book of Acts. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the region, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. This is at that little town of Lystra where they have run from Iconium and they were in Iconium because they left Antioch in Pisidia. But there's a man there, a certain man crippled from birth, never walked. Paul says, get up right and walk. And he leaps up and walks. And now these pagans, because they're so superstitious and do despise superstitious reprobates, they want to worship Paul and Barnabas. They want to do sacrifice to them. They're calling Barnabas Jupiter. They're calling Paul Mercurius as being a chief speaker. So they've given them new names and the priest of Jupiter is coming out with an ox they're going to have an ox roast to the new Jupiter Barnabas. It's amazing. Just hold on. When I called them superstitious reprobates, I did it for a purpose because what they're about to do to them But right now they want to worship them in Lystra. The Lord arranged the Lord arranged for a certain man crippled from birth that had never walked to be there. Paul was able to heal them, have a tremendous effect on... The Jews should have recognized this is a sign, like God told us to look for. The Gentiles were overwhelmed by a man that had never walked, leaping and walking. In the speech of Lyconia. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us, as we move through these different territories in Asia, then these territories in Greece about the different languages that were spoken in different places. But Paul could speak anywhere he went (laughs) with no problem. So just ignores it. Even though it's the speech of Lyconia, and they had their own little dialect there, or whatever was spoken in that part of the world, because the Tower of Babel had seriously confounded things on earth. But the Apostle Paul was able to speak to them and to address this man and heal him Now the apostles, in verses verses 14, 15 through 18, they run in and stop this man worship that's being held by these superstitious citizens of Lystra. Verse 14, which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, when they heard that they had renamed them and were about to do sacrifice to them, when they heard it, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out and saying, Sirs! Why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. The crowd at Lystra wanted to do sacrifice to Barnabas and Paul, but Barnabas and Paul presented creation and providence as being something above them, just like in Acts chapter 17, that they were not capable of being a god, and that they were men of like passions with these superstitious reprobates. They were fleshly men, they put... They basically were saying, we put our pants on the same way you do every morning. Why are you thinking that we're gods? There is a God, the living God, that made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. And he has testified that he is good by the fruitful seasons he's given us and enjoying life by sending rain from heaven. And that is in these verses. You know, I find it interesting in studying through these verses, instead of Joel A pope is there doing this instead of Paul. It's Pope Paul, or Pope Pius, or Pope John Paul. Do you know what they would have said? Get me a litter. Get me a litter and set me on it and carry me on your shoulders as we make our way to the altar, and I'll let my foot hang over the edge, and you can kiss my feet. That's what the popes would say because all you have to do is read history about the popes and how they treated worship and being carried around like they were a god but look at Paul and Barnabas and no pope has ever had has ever had Paul's power or Paul's knowledge in the gospel of Jesus Christ and yet look how they treated don't worship us we're just like you there's a god that deserves to be worshiped and you should know him by creation And you should know him by providence that he's good. And they scarcely restrained the people from worshiping them. As we get through verse 18, verses 19 and 20. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Look at the map. We are in Lystra, right here. We're in Lystra. But certain Jews have come from Antioch over to Iconium, and Iconium Jews have come down to Lystra, and they're the ones that hated Paul and drove him out of Antioch, and they drove him out of Iconium. And so we're reading about that right now in verse 19. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people of Lystra and having stoned Paul. Now, wait a minute. Do you mean in one verse... We went from them trying to worship Paul to them stoning Paul. That's why I said superstitious reprobates. Don't listen to what anybody says. They can say something nice to you one minute, and when Jesus Christ is involved, they can try to kill you the next. Right. Just like right here. Unbelievable. They had done a miracle so astounding to them that they wanted to do worship. The miracle didn't end. The man is still leaping and still standing, but other Jews came and told them, these men are preaching against the law of Moses. These men are preaching against the temple in Jerusalem. These men are preaching another king, I'm quoting from different places in Acts, another king named Jesus. And they transition in a verse to stoning the apostle Paul to death in verse 19, and drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. How be it, as the disciples stood round about him, why aren't they giving him CPR? Because they, they supposed, just like the men of Lister, that he was dead. They were just standing there looking at him. What are we going to do now? This is the Apostle Paul. Why didn't they give him CPR? Why didn't they check his pulse? Why didn't they raise him up? Why didn't they give him something to drink? No mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, something. But they're just standing there looking at him because he certainly appeared to be dead. As they stood around him, he rose up. You know, the details were not given here, but we sure would like to know them. Some say that while he was dead here is when he went to heaven in Second Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. I want to say that if Elijah could raise the dead while living, and if Elisha could raise the dead while dead, Paul could raise himself while dead by the power of the Holy Ghost. We, we don't know the full details of what happened here, but the men of the city pursue, presumed that he was dead and the believers presumed he was dead and they would have made every effort to save him alive if he was barely alive. But he, he rises up and this is our beloved brother. You want to talk about courage? Where did he go? Did he say, get me a motorcycle and let me get away from Lystra? He goes back into town. I love this man. You be thankful for this man that he didn't quit or give up on you, but he continued. He went back into Lystra. Let me, let's make sure. It's hard for me to believe that. As, verse 20, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day, he spent the night there. He departed with Barnabas to Derby. And so he goes over to Derby, and you can see that about another 75 miles, 80 miles from Lystra to Derby, And it's in the area of Lyconia, because we had reference made to the speech of Lyconia, the Lyconians that lived in that area. And so we come to the next section here of Acts chapter 14, and we've reached the end point of the trip. If you look at Antioch of Syria and follow the blue line, we've come to the island of Cyprus, Transversed it from, from one side to the other, up to Perga, up to Antioch, to Iconium, Lystra, and now to Derbe, and that's the end point. And Paul at that point is going to realize we've gone, the Holy Spirit's going to lead him. We've gone far enough this trip. Let's reverse course and go confirm all those brethren that are believers in the cities that we've been at. And so that's what's going to happen here in the remaining part of this chapter. Verses 21 and 22. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, that's the city of Derby, You're looking at it on the map. You're reading about it in verse 21. And had taught many. Thank you, Lord, for all these descriptions of the success of the gospel. They returned again to Lystra. So he went back to the place that stoned him and to Iconium, the place that wanted to stone him, and to Antioch, where there were the Jews that hated him. Confirming, why did he do that? Because to confirm souls in the gospel, lest they fall away from their faith that they had professed, he wanted to confirm them and press them, and notice what he taught them. Confirming the souls of the disciples. What you have done is right. Keep doing what you have started, and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Don't give it up. Don't let anyone tell you that it is not the truth. Don't change it at all. Continue in it and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So he was preparing these people for the persecution that would come, that we, through much persecution, enter into the kingdom of God. Following Jesus Christ involves persecution. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so part of the ministry is to encourage people not to be moved by it. And that's why you hear things from me on the edge of the envelope, which is the scriptural envelope, that don't, it doesn't matter what your family says to you. It doesn't matter family above you, family below you, family beside you. Parents, children, siblings, it doesn't matter. Cousins, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews. Don't let it even move you. It's going to happen. My captain, who called me to be his ambassador, your king, your lord, said... I came not to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword and a man's foes will be they of his own household. Believe it. It's the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the exhortation was, don't move, stay in the faith, continue what you've started. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be pain. You're going to be persecuted, but it's worth it because we're going to see the eternal, everlasting, heavenly kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So verse 23 tells us that they ordained a plurality of elders in the churches that they had started in Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and Pisidia. And do to just hear me very briefly. The time is the very midpoint of the time of Reformation. There is no complete New Testament. There are partial gifts that are described in 1 Corinthians 13, 8-10, partial gifts. Tongues shall cease, knowledge shall vanish away, prophecies shall fail. No, the gift of prophecy would fail, the gift of knowledge would go away, and tongues would cease. But until then, there are these gifts. Jesus Christ ascended up on high and gave gifts to men. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So when they ordained multiple elders in this block of time, they did so because they needed to have multiple gifts for the satisfaction of the church. And if you would just think back to the first verse starting this trip, you would be set. Because in chapter 13, verse 1, we have five men mentioned, and it says they were prophets and teachers, and we know that at least two of them were also apostles. So there were three different gifts there to get the job done before the New Testament came around. And I have a page of notes that would take me from now until one to give you quickly but we've been over much of that material before. Peter called himself an elder, even though he was an apostle in 1 Peter chapter 5. Plural elders cover the plural gifts, just like we read that was in existence in the church of Antioch in Syria. After the apostles, after 70 AD, there's only two gifts, bishops and deacons. Philippians 1, 1 Timothy 3. Bishops and deacons. Bishop, a teaching, ruling, office, leading a church. A deacon taking things off the bishop's plate that would keep him from the word of God and prayer. Period. There are no Presbyterian ruling elders. There has never been such an office in the New Testament. That is an invention of men. Presbyterian ruling elders, Reformed Baptist ruling elders, have full-time professions and careers outside the church and just have a token role in the church. It is an unscriptural position. There's only two offices, bishop and deacon. You're either a bishop or you're a deacon, or you don't have any office. But if you're a bishop, you're not just a ruling elder with a full-time profession or career in the world because a bishop is supposed to be apt to teach and give himself wholly to the ministry which is reading exhortation and doctrine and studying to show himself approved unto God. This idea of these men that may be successful in the world having this position like a board of directors in a church, there's nothing in the Bible about it, nothing at all. You want to ask me about a plurality of elders? I just explained it to you. Even then, in a church as large as the church at Jerusalem, 20,000, 40,000 members Many, many, many elders. Because Paul, in chapter 15, is going to go to Jerusalem, where there were the apostles and the elders, and bring all these gifts together. It still came down to one pastor. And it was James. James gave the decree that was to be carried to Gentile churches that they don't have to keep the law of Moses, the ceremonial law that the Jews were except in four matters, that that assembly of apostles and elders thought appropriate for them. There's so much more that could be said. I hope that you remember at a time like this where I'm just racing over a particular verse of scripture Paul put Titus in the island of Crete all by himself, and that's all Titus needed to set all things in order that were wanting for the churches of Jesus Christ. He didn't need ruling elders. He didn't need any presbytery. He was there by himself. Paul put him there. Paul told him what to do. He could ordain. He could do everything necessary for the churches that were in the island of Crete. When you get to the book of Revelation, you read chapters 2 and 3, Jesus Christ addressed the angel of each of those seven churches. And we understand that to be a pastor that was responsible for those churches and was going to be in trouble with Jesus Christ if he did not get the thing remedied in that particular church. So there's there's a little bit that is said about, uh, I just can't stand ruling elders. I'm a Baptist. See, I can't stand ruling elders as the Presbyterians and the Reformed Baptists have invented that term. Right. Um, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine, both, both jobs in one office. Verse 24. And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, remember that's a region extending down from Antioch, after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, where they started in Turkey, as we would call it today. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia, And now you can see Italia. so they hit a different port in order to make their trip back to Antioch of Syria. Now they preached in Perga this time. It didn't tell us that on their way through with the blue arrow, but now with the red arrow, they, perch in, they preach in Perga. And I want to say something that sounds so tedious and boring and repetitive, and I'm sorry about that. Why does it say they went down from Perga to Italia? Can you look at the map and tell me? altitude. They went down in altitude, because Perga, as you can see, is in the mountains on the coast of the Mediterranean, and Atalia is a port, which means it is at sea level. You're going to run into up and down so many times in the book of Acts, you're going to wonder, because you know how we think of it. If we go up, we go north. If we go down, we go south but in the Bible it's going up and down in altitude, and it just helps you understand some of these things. And, of course, the map helps you without even knowing that. But since the Holy Ghost wanted to tell us that they went down, I want to explain what it means that they went down so that you understand every word of God as far as he'll give us. Verse 26, And thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. So back to Antioch of Syria by that red line and the red arrow where they had been recommended to the grace of God, where the other elders laid hands on them, prayed and fasted, and sent them out recommending them to the grace of God. And they went and fulfilled the ministry that they'd been given. Verse 27, And when they were come, that is, they had got to Antioch and had gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them And how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. They go home to their home church. They get an assembly together. They get their PowerPoint slides together. Just checking on you. And they rehearsed this map. And they explained, We went here, we went there. Many were converted. Oh, you should see the brethren that were in Antioch. When they heard that the gospel was being sent to the Gentiles, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Can you hear the shouting in Antioch of Syria? Oh, it was wonderful. And they rehearsed this whole trip, just like I have tried to rehearse it with you, and they glorified God. And they said this, or they saw this, and they realized it, that God had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Do you know what that means? That it had been closed. Mm -hmm. That it had been closed. But he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Do you know know how thankful you better be? Mm -hmm. We wouldn't wouldn't give Jesus of Nazareth a second of our time if it wasn't for the grace of God opening the door of faith to us. Has he opened a door of faith to us? Wide open. Do we want him to open it wider? Yes. Yes. Do we want him to fill us with the Spirit to bear the fruit of faith? Yes. Yes. We want to believe. Do we want to help him to help our unbelief so that we'll believe even more? Yes, we do. And may the Lord bless us to follow in the gospel and to thank God for saving us, Gentiles, by his son, Jesus Christ, ordaining us to eternal life and then bringing us the knowledge of it, just like we saw in this first preaching trip of the Apostle Paul. This is why we're together. You know, most of you are going to leave in just a few minutes. And I'm going to go through a church history. I'm going to go through a wonderful church history that is going to take 7.5 billion people and boil it down to a few that have the truth. And it's only by the grace of God. And anyone that ever hears us talk that way, they should know that we pray in this church for him to show us whatever truth we don't see that we will see and that we'll obey it. And they should come and see that we call it four crossings of the Red Sea in the number of things God has shown us over almost 40 years of existence here in the upstate of Greenville. Yeah. The Lord opened the door of faith. He opened the door of faith and he's shown us many things. What else does he have to show us? Let's ask him. Let's live obediently so that he'll show us some more things. He's able. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.